Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is Dan Aykroyd, happy to be on The Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. I'm Cap, and this is a slightly irregular episode of Nerdy Show. It's a Microsode 2-pack. Microsodes are where you, the listener, give us a topic for us to talk about for 15 to 30 minutes. So this episode, we've got two Microsodes smashed together like some kind of a sexy info hamburger. We're going to be talking about James Bond, specifically the multiple Bond theory, and how the movies may or may not work together in continuity. We're also going to be talking about Howard Philip Lovecraft, yes, H.P. Lovecraft, the master of 20th century horror, a man whose career was in relative obscurity, except for those of the nerdiest pursuits, but in the later part of last century, well, he's become about as well-known as Nikola Tesla. So you may be asking yourself a couple questions now, maybe, well, gee, how can I get a microsode? Or, I know about how microsodes are made. It's when mommy and daddy love each other very much. Why is this happening now? Why me? Will they love the baby more than they'll love me? And I have answers for you. Well, we're a listener-funded podcast, and in addition to sending people perks in the mail, every consecutive $100 mark that we reach in a monthly support drive, the person who pushes us over that $100 mark, they earn a microsode. You choose a topic for us to talk about, and if you so wish, select which hosts you'd like to cover the topic or lead the discussion. And as for why now and what's going on, well, things are getting really busy for Nerdy Show. We haven't actually put out a Nerdy Show microsode since we relaunched Nerdy Show and launched the new website a few months ago. We had a plan initially to put them out every Saturday or every other Saturday as sort of a fun, short weekend podcast thing. Unfortunately, it turned out we didn't actually have the resources to pull that off. So we thought to ourselves, well, we'll keep recording microsodes, which we have been, and we'll figure out some clever way to put them out. We thought, okay, well, when we're going to relaunch microsodes, we'll do a big episode that's maybe like three or four microsodes stuck together and be like, here's a bunch of microsodes and they're awesome. And here's information on when we're going to put out more microsodes. But unfortunately, that day has not come yet. Something a little bigger came up, and I don't think you'll have any objections. This week, the Dungeons & Doritos Book 2 finale is coming out. I know, it's been a long time coming. We're all really sorry about that. Suffice it to say, we're never going to create a situation for ourselves in which we'll have to have so many people recording an episode all at once. It was a scheduling nightmare, and uh, there were some acts of God and other unforeseen chaos thrown in our way. But the important part is, it's done. It's great. It's got an original score, as always, done by the D&D music crew, both Steve O'Bortz, a.k.a. Level 99 from Overclocked After Dark and Overclocked Remix, Ryan McQuinn, and uh, this episode for the first time, Kyle, a.k.a. Shinobi MC, 
is joining the crew and adding to the brand new score of this episode. In addition to that, we'll have a Nerdy Show book club coming up next week. So if you haven't finished Neuromancer yet, you totally should. And that's not all. There's a lot more. As you may know, we've got some pretty serious E3 coverage every year, and we're getting things kicked off a little early thanks to Microsoft's pre-press conference press conference that's happening this week, where they're announcing details on the next Xbox. If all goes according to plan, we'll be hosting a live stream where you can watch the announcement along with us and find out our reactions live as they unveil whatever the hell they're going to unveil about the new system. You should check nerdyshow.com E3 for any details on that. Pretty sure it's going to happen, but we're still finalizing our setup. However, what you can expect is that when it comes to the actual press conferences at E3 in Los Angeles, we'll have more interactive things set up, possibly including our own feeds from some of the events, and you can watch that unfold with us and chat along with us. But also this week, also, is our long-awaited Kyle McLaughlathon. We've been trying to do this for months, but the scheduling has not worked out right, but we're finally doing it. It's a movie marathon that you guys requested, and it's all films and television featuring Kyle McLaughlin. We're going to be watching the first four episodes of Twin Peaks, Blue Velvet, Justice League New Frontier, where he did the voice of Superman, The Flintstones, where he was the villain alongside Halle Berry, of all people, and Dune, the extended cut. Twelve hours of Kyle McLaughlin, streaming straight from the nerdy house, with hosts and friends providing running commentary all day long, also eating delicious potluck food, perhaps even some Blue Velvet cake. That's happening this Saturday, May 25th, from noon to midnight. You can check out the event page where we'll have our rough itinerary of what we're watching and when the specific shows are expected to start. So if you can, you should tune in to us live anytime you're available during that day if you want to hang out, and we'll be chatting and talking and watching some amazing films. That's all for me now. We're going to go to our James Bond microsode, but I'll be back to give some mad props to some awesome people who've supported the show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've we got, got it covered. covered. Thank you, Colin. That yeah. was really exciting. Yeah, you like that? This is a Nerdy Show <laughs> microsode. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Colin. And I'm Matt. And now we're going to talk about James Bond, 007, and the multiple Bond theory. This episode comes courtesy of Trench88, but uh, with a little inspiration from Mr. Max Acree, who suggests... I can't remember the exact circumstance but at some point he suggested this uh, i think on the forums and i was like oh man you bastard i want to do that so bad i want to talk about james bond with with matt spill here or, and matt's here and matt's I here. here he's here in the studio which has never I, happened before and, I, and, I, and I i'm crossed, here too i crossed three time zones we just be here for this conversation That's right. we got a, a weird space-time catastrophe happen and we have colin from nashville and matt from los angeles here in Orlando, Florida, at the same time, and uh, that's awesome. To multiple me. personalities, multiple bonds. That's right. <laughs> or, or are they? Or are they? So the James Bond multiple bond theory—it's I, I, pretty self-explanatory, I, as I'm sure you can imagine, dear listeners, what it's about. But you know, we've had a lot of bonds in our day: Connery, Lazenby, you know, Brosnan—the obvious one that I'm forgetting right now. More, more—that's the one. Dalton and <laughs> Dalton, Mr. Daniel Craig. Yep. There's been movie to movie continuity. Right. You know, we see uh, George Lazenby as James Bond gets married and she dies at the end of the movie. Spoiler. And Lazenby does not get enough credit. I gotta say. Well, I, I, Honor Majesty's Secret Service doesn't get enough credit. Okay. That's my personal favorite. I, okay. Well, actually, maybe, you know, Lazenby for half that movie, his voice was being dubbed. 
Because as he was, are you when fucking he was, kidding me? Well, when he was Sir Hillary Bray, uh-huh. like, and he had to fake that he was a Scot- you know, Scottish heraldry expert. Oh. It was actually the actor who was that he meets earlier in the movie that is Sir Hillary Bray, and he, you know, quote unquote, learns the accent or learns how to imitate yeah. him. But it's actually they were just dubbing him over. That's so he couldn't do the accent. <laughs> That's hilarious. Assumedly, or they just thought it would be better idea. Well, to, well he was, but he was Australian. Is that true? Uh, was Australian. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Wife dies, and then um, the following film. Roger Moore. Uh, Roger Moore goes to her grave, and also it was a few films later. It was, actually, was, it, it, it was in uh, for the opening of Four Eyes Only, which uh, nineteen eighty one, which actually they were doing to. Oh really, man? You good? Yes. Yeah, this, this is why. They, this is why you're here, man. Well, the, there was a lot of there was a lot to that opening sequence. There were some legal issues going on with uh, Never Say Never Again being put into production. Oh right, because Kevin McClory had the rights due to you know. Ian Fleming having fucked him over on a, yeah, the uh, uh, the Never Say Never Again Thunderball saga is something that um, we'll post a link to in this episode's page because yes. we can't possibly get into it. It's yes. too nuanced and complicated. So so Never Say Never Again was going into production and the you know with Connery. So MGM kind of wanted to make a statement that like they are still the Bond franchise. So part of that was was referencing earlier Bond moments, such as the his you know visiting his wife's grave. Mm-hmm. You establish that this Bond is the same Bond that was it, you know around for the the Blofeld era, and then actually in that sequence there is a man in you know bald man in a wheelchair with with a cat, right? And, that, and he blows you know, him takes, up. Yeah, well, takes over the helicopter yeah, and he, tries he, to kill Bond, dumps him down a smokestack, but yeah. they never refer to him or directly as Bond's former nemesis. Mm. So you know, there's some there's an in joke there before he dumps him down the, the the smokestack. Like he says, "I'll buy you a delicatessen and stainless steel." There's some rumors that had something to do with the lawsuit that was going on. Oh yeah, I, I love the weirdness of that line. Oh, it's so strange. No one and, knows and what never, it is. Yeah, never explained. And they they dump him down the smokestack as if to say, "With or without Blofeld, this it's is still Bond. Th- it's still Bond. It's yeah. this is this is the James Bond franchise, Connery or not." Short while later, License to Kill, Felix Leiter's getting married. Like the millionth Felix Leiter that they've ever cast, <laughs> who's changed races before. Who actually was the only the only actor, or actually prior to the Daniel Craig era, he was the only Felix Leiter to play him twice because he was also the Felix Leiter in Live and Let Die. But there were like three Leiters in between his performances. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. What's his face? The guy who plays uh, the happy-go-lucky CIA agent that replaces the Felix role in the Brosnan films. Mm-hmm. He was an arms dealer in Living uh, Daylights. Yeah, only two movies prior to his appearance in Goldeneye. Right, totally yeah. weird. But anyway, so so Felix says. Um, to his bride to be oh james was married once and then felix goes and man that movie is just a train wreck of bad things happening to people uh you know he gets his legs eaten off by sh- by a fucking shark and and his wife raped and killed yes his new newlywed wife they were like what can we do to spice james bond up let's make it depressing <laughs> super fucking depressing that movie's so hard to watch very young benicio del toro who yeah. just yes, played a henchman. that's right they actually did a very good job a, a prominent henchman though yes yes it wasn't like sam rockwell and turtles it was close but <laughs> There was a continuity. Mm-hmm. It was yes. it was clearly there, and it was all clearly meant to be the same person. Yeah. And then the uh, Daniel Craig thing happened, and they were like, "Oh, it's a reboot." But then M is still Judy Dench. So how does that work? Up until Skyfall, I felt like, "Oh no, 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 this is fine." They could all have been the same Bond up till now, and then the multiple Bond theory goes into effect, and this is just a new guy taking on the mantle of James Bond, which explains why there's been so many Felix Leiters. It's just a dummy name for a secret agent, no big, and then Skyfall fucked it all up. So could you explain multiple the multiple bonds? It's yeah. basically that they are taking on the... It's just like he's taking on the, the number. Yeah. Different uh, like, agents. Yeah, 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 like, I mean, there, there would be multiple Alex Trevelyans, 006. There'd be, you know, like, if there's multiple Felix Sliders, there's multiple James Bonds. They're not all happening at the same time. Right. 
And what's interesting about this is Matt and I had a very strange experience with this multiple bond thing. It's something that we'd both talked about for a while. And then we finally saw the original Casino Royale, the comedy, uh, Peter Sellers and Woody Allen. Uh, and in it, they actually utilize the multiple bond theory. This is a 1960 film. Really? Like, yeah, 1967. Uh, only five bond films had come out by that point. So no, there was no other James Bonds at that point. It was still Connery. Yeah. Interesting. There was nothing to prompt it. But in it, an elderly James Bond is approached by uh, MI6 to come back to the field and then M gets killed in this like terrorist act that's meant to be on James Bond and James Bond, the old James Bond, becomes head of MI6. There's a, a hit out on him. So he says, well, the only way that I can protect myself is by making all my agents James Bond. So Woody Allen becomes James Bond and Peter Sells becomes James Bond and it descends into madness and in one of the most amazing, surreal 1960s films of all time. If you want to have a good time and see some insane uh, nonsense directing like you'll never see before, Casino Royale and Help... That's it, man. <laughs> it, it really, I mean, it clearly it, it's attacking some sort of weird, you know, the kind of 60s art cinema. Yeah, like it, was, it, it was actually meant to be a parody of 60s art cinema and inver- inadvertently made the height of 60s art cinema. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it actually, and after us seeing this last year, it has some of my favorite sequences in film ever, actually. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I have to see this. It's Obviously. really good. And I believe it's on Netflix. It's not for everybody, mm. but okay. it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so there's the multiple Bond theory again, um, but unfortunately, it's not a reality. I wanted to see a movie where Daniel Craig has to go and kill a James Bond who's, who's gone rogue, but it's a frame up and it ends up with, it's, he's got, he finds like, a, like Brosnan or somebody operating in the shadows who finds, finds him and they like, they fight and they have an uneasy truce and they got to get to the bottom of it and and it deals with all the continuities and everything that ties it all up. And I was like, yeah, man, just having two James Bonds team up, that's like, that's not only awesome, but like money, pure money. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then Skyfall happened. Yeah, and Skyfall happened, which, which I actually really, I really like Skyfall. I like Skyfall to a degree. But when I, I actually saw Skyfall after Matt, I mean, Matt, you saw it like what? Oh, did you see it opening night? Uh, a little bit before and then the day after it came out. I actually saw it with a, they did a, the second time I saw it, they did a Q&A with Daniel Craig and Sam Mendes afterwards. That was kind of cool, but. Because Matt lives in Los Angeles where things like that happen. Yeah, I know. I wish, that, I mean, they should make a tour of that kind of thing. Like every movie has, you know, Q&A tours. But yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of Skyfall because I felt that if you took out the element, the obvious elements of like the Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. And, well, pretty much, if you took out the Aston Martin, changed James's name, right? There's no way. Like, I don't know what makes that a Bond movie at all. Mm. But I feel in another movie, if you Goldfinger, Spy Who Loved Me, even the Dalton movies, if you replaced even those two elements, you could still tell it was a James Bond movie, right? Like, there was just Skyfall was missing out, and it didn't mean it was a bad movie. I thought it was freaking gorgeous, but like, I just did not enjoy it in that regard. I, I mean, it definitely was a film who the very transparently was going to be different from previous films. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I liked that it was shaking things up and, and it even man up until the very end of the film, it acknowledged continuity. And I was like, Oh, Aston Martin with the guns. It's happening. But, 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 yeah, at yeah. the same time, it abused yeah. continuity because he had this Aston Martin, but he'd never met money penny before. He doesn't right. meet money. Well, Pe- like he doesn't find well, out money. Penny's money. Penny at the end of the film. Whereas in Goldfinger, when he receives the Aston Martin, he's been not only with money, Penny in the previous two films, but in, in you know, Dr. Known from rush with love and Dr. No, he clearly has known money, Penny for a long time. Right. Well, yeah. And what I was hoping was that it wasn't saying that he was that James Bond, but that he, maybe, you know, 
he had some storied experience with this because he inherited some of his predecessor's gear Mm -hmm. or something like that. The thing that not only, I mean, I think as a film, it's a really, really good film and one of the most compelling Bond productions in years, even uh, even though it went off the track of, you know, what one would expect from a Bond film just because of uh, how intense it was, how dynamic the villain was and so Mm -hmm. on. But it was utterly, completely fucked up by that last scene where money penny says her name's money penny and they end up in the in an office that's just like the one that he was in in the, you know the first movie yeah 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 the office it, i mean straight out of you know pretty much dr it, no through the end of the uh roger Moore. It, right it, it reminds me of um in the ali g short film spies where he's like i'm james bond <laughs> james bond and it's like you know i you don't need it to be spelled out for you that would that movie that that ending was for dumb people mm-hmm. it was like it was some it was both like hey old fans we got all this stuff you should be like oh i recognize that fuck it's it's like at the end of uh the last dark knight film where it's like my name's robin and it's like we knew you were robin we knew you were fulfilling this mm-hmm. robin role don't say your fucking name's robin robin's name isn't robin yet cocksucker <laughs> yeah <laughs> well honestly though but the, i think that it's that for wasn't, stupid people but i i don't know if that's necessarily true i think the reason why they did that is because hey, colin colin you're a field agent. I've been in the field with you. We've we've been through all kinds of stuff. What is your, what's your, what never got your name? Oh yeah, well that I, I that's never dumb. got your name. Yes, Colin. Okay, sure, <laughs> sure. How well, and, but, and and yet we've had sex. Did right. they ha- they did they have sex? Money Penny. Yeah. No, no, no. I think it was insinuated that they didn't do. Anything oh, they did that not. No. But there was there was something going on before oh, well, he yeah, found yeah, out. Clearly. Like yeah. Anyway, but regardless, I think the reason why they did that was because. The whole Daniel Craig era of James Bond started to go on this deep, dark path, and it started with Casino Royale. There was a lot more grit in Bond that didn't used to exist, mm-hmm. and it was in the shitty movie that was afterwards, uh, Quantum of Solace, that was horrible. Actually, if you ever have, like, five hours, yeah. watch them back-to-back, like, put it in immediately. Yeah. It carries on quite well. Does yeah. it really? Yeah, it no, carries the mood quite it, well. It's strong it, it, in, its, in its way. By yeah. itself, it's, you know, you're like, well, this is a short film right uh, yeah it, it's it's haphazard and uh there's not really much of a plot but then as like a it's kind of like a a 0.5 bond movie right <laughs> right but even still what i'm saying is that like they started this gritty this gritty feel and what i'm saying is that what i believe that ending to be and skyfall being the the logical conclusion of that gritty going very 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 deeply dark and then that ending of that film is them saying okay we've done this and now we're starting back over and we're gonna have fun with bond again which is what I think well, is happening. But that was, and that so was they're the going to go back to doing the Roger Moore, like but ridiculous. No, I don't think they're going to making cars one, do, do, you know, they made uh, a ton, of, they made a ton of money with this movie. So this next one's going to be just like Skyfall. Mm. So and, it doesn't matter. And nobody wants the Roger Moore Bond films. They're amusing artifacts of their time. Sure. But no one wants that. That's but, true. But what's weird is two movies in a row have now tried to do this. Quantum of Solace's ending was very specific. It was actually the best part of the movie. And this black and white sequence where he goes to try to, you know, whether he's going to, you know, get revenge on on Ava Green's former lover. Right. That was, you know. Yeah, Vesper. Yeah. yeah. And. Yeah, because they killed the girl in the first, in, in, in Casino Royale. Yeah, they killed yeah. the girl, which they haven't, haven't done since. Um, well, well, yeah, I mean, she, Vesper, yeah. Vesper died like that, though, in, in the book. In the book. But I'm just and, saying, you know, well, yeah, they could have so, easily changed it. So, he you know, he goes back for, like, whether he's going to get revenge or not. And then. The Daniel Craig Bond that had been set up in Casino Royale and Quantum Solace probably would have done it. But as he had learned through the course of those two movies, like, no. So he, you know, he decides not to, to kill the guy. He lets M and all them go in and arrest the guy. Right. And at the end, M does that. I mean, I think it's the best part of the movie when she says, you know, Bond, I need to know you're with me. 
And then he turns and he doesn't look at her. He looks at the camera and he says, I never left. And he was talk- talking to the audience. He was like, the James Bond of, of yesterday, th- these two movies created what the Bond that we have known and loved always was. And then that's why they saved the gun barrels. The first time they did the official gun barrel in the Daniel Craig series was after he said, I never left because it, it made Bond was supposed to become Bond there. Mm. Then Skyfall comes out and it's like it's the end of his career and it's like he never was that fun loving Bond or at mm. least they hinted that he had been but for over a whole career because it's very specific in Skyfall. He has now had an entire career. Right. He is, you know, like he's they been did, like through. Basically, like those two movies were at the very beginning. And this is and now this at the very, very end. end. And what's funny is that they, they hold your hand for so many stupid things in that movie. Mm-hmm. And then that part, which is actually quite important, it is inferred rather yeah. than spelled out. And that's maybe the most important thing they could have said specifically to the mm-hmm. audience. Yep. After having heard that Q&A with, with Sam Mendes, you hear him talking. He's, he's very... Um, respectful of he like he's the biggest fan of the first three bond films like he always talked about dr known from rush with love and goldfinger up until like when i think about that whole money penny introduction if you actually think about like maybe the 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 series as a sequence was casino and quantum and then those three movies and then skyfall Mm. it makes sense with with the aston martin and it makes sense with you know like everything else but then the money penny like it's like if there was a money penny already there like it would have made more so also the whole thing about introducing ray finds his m as sort of like pretty right. much the m that's in like dr no and everything which kills me again because in goldeneye judy dench's m is introduced as as a new person specifically replacing the old m right and so basically what we have is two separate continuities that don't necessarily make a lot of sense nope. and the thing that bugs me the most is and this is true of a lot of things that's been happening these days with series that are trying to like connect with their prior versions and all that they go part of the way but they don't go all the way right um i guess this is a weird example but um, my go-to example for this is the muppets they're like yeah they're like oh well we were we had a a, a television show and a movie and it was mm-hmm. the first muppet film to acknowledge the actual career of the muppets mm-hmm. on television and not existing in their own like separate right muppet verse or whatnot yet they ignore some of it they're like oh no but that all stopped in the 1980s that's why kermit has the 1980s robot and you know maybe muppets tonight never happened and there's i mean hell there are a bunch of forgettable films in the 90s and yes. early 2000s that i would prefer to not have happened but mm-hmm. if you're going to acknowledge some of it please might ag- as well. acknowledge all of it right um yeah they certainly had been quote-unquote working yes yes. certainly yeah yeah i mean especially for like some of the generation that found it to be most enjoyable i don't know like muppet christmas carol is for instance one of my favorite things about the muppets and like it's that's in like the sort of era that they said didn't exist in that movie right you know that you know and and it was you know it was lucrative i mean you know yeah muppets treasure island didn't live up to expectations and um muppets from space is a train wreck that i loathe (laughs) and muppets wizard of oz the tv special is one of the most haphazard ip accidents i've ever seen but you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes that's what happens when you when you have an ip and you're like oh we'll acknowledge the old stuff but we won't really go all the way well really what they're doing is it's just fan service yeah but all it is is just like oh my god yes and martin that's awesome and then they blow it up and it's it's just like fuck you it's fan service for the lowest common denominator who like who have an idea in their heads of what it is so they can connect with it and be like oh my god that guy's robin oh shit and then but you know but his name isn't dick grayson right yeah and and i get you know continuity i mean continuity is super important and they pay people to maintain it it, like on the set it validates the quality of the storytelling yeah and and i can understand maybe breaking a little bit if it enhances your story but i don't see what any of that money penny stuff like it's interesting and like their relationship was kind of interesting in the movie but once again it's a weird setup like money penny as a field agent like Mm -hmm. it's not really something that has ever been thought of or discussed or whatever and and it didn't seem like she was ever in any 
there was any point that it made sense for her to well i guess she did shoot james and that made you know that kind of put her off the field service so i guess that worked but i don't know like like that last scene with them mm. i certainly th- i honestly think it was just not only in the movie to acknowledge the old saga but it it just looked good like as far as colors and yeah, like looked, i mean it, yeah. like the shot was and i feel like that's the only reason why a lot of skyfall was in the movie like honestly, <laughs> there's there's a moment in the movie when when james is following the um the assassin i forget of singapore or whatever asian sure. country it was yeah and yeah, that yeah. sequence was gorgeous and he follows him up the elevator and the guy's setting up to shoot someone across the the hall or you know across to the other building and right. he shoots the guy and bond lets it happen which first of all once again not james yeah like that's not bond wouldn't let that happen also bond wouldn't have let that guy die in the beginning right that was never brought back who was that guy that got shot across the building like and you know oh, sometimes right. you can just see like oh he's an assassin he just does stuff but it was specifically well he was getting killed for the purposes of the bag i mean he was employed by what's his face was he was employed yeah he was employed by uh, mr javier bardem's yeah, character mr but, blonde yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well i, I just javier I, bardem did an amazing no, he job was, he was a great by actor the yeah but once again i didn't this movie was one where they talked about we don't need agents like you anymore we don't right. need people operating in the shadows them operating in the shadows created the bad guy of javier bardem right so operating in the shadows actually wasn't good and also there's so many similarities to him to specifically that plot line in the dark knight like he disguises himself as a cop to get away he purposely gets himself captured in order to wreak more like, more havoc than you know normally uh mm-hmm. has you know the whole like want to see how i got these scars it's like want to see what m did you know he takes out the you know the teeth and everything it's that's just so weird that's a weird comparison it's just they so many movies now they see what nolan has done to something that deserved that sort of treatment because that exists in batman and has never existed before for james bond and for some reason they're just like let's let's try to do this like i just i just didn't think it was a james bond movie at all just in name why do we skyfall james why do we skyfall james that's colin peters that's the, the best way to to summarize how i felt about skyfall and on its own it's a great movie it's one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen mm-hmm. and you know it, it utilized imax technology better than any you know non-cg heavy movie i've ever seen and i mean the locations were just some of the most like they were as gorgeous as most bond movie locations but not the type the type of locations that they would ever i, I can't tell pick. you how awesome it was i mean i guess you probably know but just to see for the first time ever great britain represented as an exotic location oh, in a yeah. bond film yeah. i mean like like this like the scottish moors were amazing mm-hmm. it looked so good and it was like finally like finally james bond is in his element doing bond stuff in the place where he fucking grew up that's, not that's since absurd. 1967's casino royale <laughs> when they went to his manor in scotland it was really weird that movie actually had a lot like a lot more similarities to 67's casino royale than you would ever think possible i, I can't really remember weird. or the name of the actor who portrayed old james bond in the original casino royale but he was actually ian fleming's pick for james bond Oh yeah, who was? Um, it was uh David Niven, wasn't it? Yes, yes it was David, David Niven. Niven. Mm-hmm. And he and David Niven is the only actor ever mentioned by name in a James Bond novel. Interesting. Everything about that film is several enigmas tied up in bacon, <laughs> psychedelic tie dye bacon. <laughs> so, where do you guys think that the where do you after Skyfall? I mean, I know that we've got the money and stuff like that, and the money's involved, and we you know this gritty Bond is what the audiences are really connecting to, but because you know everyone liked Batman and such, but what do you guys think, considering you're both truly true Bond aficionados, especially Matt, like what, where do you think it's going to go from here? Because they've completely run out of books, yes? 
No, um, Fleming books, yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there's there's been like there's Fleming short stories. They've borrowed a lot from the short stories, though. I feel like, in a way, I don't know if they're going to do this, and I sincerely hope they don't. But there's definitely some agents at play in MGM or wherever who think that they can probably, you know, redo a classic. Mm. And I, I hope they don't. You know, I don't want. Oh, so you're saying that they're going to remake like something like Doctor No? Or... Well, honestly, my because Casino Royale was the first novel. I actually thought they might go back to Live and Let Die, which was the second novel. Interesting. And I actually think, and you know what, they could, and it would be a completely different film. Yes, because th- that that book and that movie not the same. No, <laughs> no like, that's it, actually would it would actually be closer to License to Kill than it would Roger Moore's Live and Let Die. They're actually sequence, and also Four Eyes Only. They actually there's a, a the major like. I wouldn't call it, well, it's an action sequence, kind of, but, like, the major, like, set piece sequence in that movie is in Four Eyes Only. It's when they tie Bond and the girl to the end of the boat and drag them through the coral reef to make them bleed so that the sharks come after them. That's actually in Live and Let Die. So that was actually very early in the Bond franchise, and they didn't do it until, like, the 11th film. You know, I'm actually, I didn't expect to be, I'm weirdly okay with, I will never stain the original Live and Let Die, which is my favorite Bond movie. So good. But it is what it is, and it is not the book. So mm. if they did it, I'd be like, well, whatever. I might confuse everybody else, but I know what's up. So. Well, you'd be upset if there wasn't a Baron Samedi, though. <laughs> no, I love Baron Samedi the way he is. <laughs> and Scaramanga and all those cats. Like, they, you know, they're, they're timeless, and they're trapped in that mm-hmm. absurd recreation of the 1970s. Yes. There's a reason why you played, you played Baron Samedi all the time during the GoldenEye uh, I, games. I did until I realized that um, I had a... Um, Significant disadvantage by yeah, being so tall? Well because our job was so cheap well the thing about playing baron samedi in the original goldeneye and fortunately not the case in the new goldeneye is uh you shoot the hat you shoot the head Uh (laughs) like that's the thing like it's like having an elongated head it's playing (laughs) with a severe handicap that's not it's not cool headshot hat shot it is the exact opposite of playing odd job hat shot (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know where they i don't know where they take it for sure um daniel craig does this is something that people don't realize but daniel craig does have more films he's um, on contract for yeah there was a scandal recently and i say scandal because with air quotes because uh tumblr is a palace of morons <laughs> and i and i love it for reposting pictures when it involves uh things that should have fact checking boy people are like oh man look at this and they reblog it and it's like it's true and i'm gonna cry i'm gonna cry about it no uh they were there was some uh, fucking fiasco over they said the next james bond can't be black and oh god it's the dumbest shit uh there was apparently some black british actor who they spoke who was actually who spoke to someone official about being james bond you know they obviously didn't say yes because daniel craig's still under contract but they're like you know it's they said it could happen and then everything that was you know shared around the internet was there's no there's never going to be a black james bond they said he can't be black wow (laughs) no daniel craig's way too big and honestly what's really funny is that he was a weird choice for it to be bond at the time because he wasn't an action star he was a a drama star when that came out he was like he was into he's a very good dramatic actor mm-hmm. and that's actually what makes him a great bond in well this I mean, oh yeah no franchise, no i mean it, prior to casino royale though he was uh what was i haven't didn't see it but firewall with harrison ford action movie well i mean I like but he wasn't like considered to be an action star in right. the way that this is an action star like he was in like well, costume was, dramas has and any, stuff like has that. any james cake. bond been considered an action star before their 10 years james bond pierce brosnan well, Brosnan, I mean, it was Remington Steel on TV, and I know probably wasn't a lot of action per se on I'm, Remington Steel. I'm sure Steel. they couldn't afford the action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way. Yeah, and Lazenby was a model. Yeah. But I, I, do, I do like Craig a lot, and I liked a lot of the acting in Skyfall, and, and 
every bond has done is very good job of being representative of what we kind of want in the times like craig is perfect for the bond now as roger moore i mean this you know mid 70s to mid 80s i mean you couldn't have like in my opinion couldn't have asked for a better sillier for what people wanted in a movie which is why those movies are so successful i mean the more movies i mean as far as inflation is concerned they're still some of the most successful ever mm-hmm. i i mean i feel that when he expired he expired hard unfortunately that includes view to a kill it's got redeemable elements <laughs> it, the redeemable elements are are simply names but not actualities grace jones christopher walken duran duran thus ends the list uh, and, 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 and and john barry he did that was one of his best soundtracks in my opinion mm. awesome anyway thank you so much for listening guys oh wait a minute yes before we go okay who, who's your favorite bond oh geez who's your favorite bond matt i mean does this count the like it's count some all the bonds but I mean, like, my favorite Bond actor or my favorite, like, actor. his movies encompassing, like, because it's sometimes, you know, you can't. This, like, is, this is, there's a lot of films in the series. There's a lot of things going on here. This is a very nuanced question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who is your favorite actor that you believe, like, similar to with Doctor Who, who you felt did the character the most justice? I mean, it's going to have to be Connery, but I, his movies aren't my favorite. Right. I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of freaking amazing ones. I mean, mm-hmm. which they were more, all more like from Russia with Love and, and Thunderball than, than anything. I just think the last two were just, you know, not as fun. But I mean, I think Connery did the best, you know. Connery's run, it can't, his portrayal of James Bond, it can't be overstated how quality it is. Mm-hmm. I would like to check out the alternate universe where Timothy Dalton got more films because he was robbed. I love, I love him. I Timothy lo- Dalton's actually my, I my favorite. I love, love, love Living Daylights. Yes. And uh, he deserved better than License to Kill. He deserved at least four films. He didn't get the chance he deserved. I think he could be could have been the greatest Bond if they let him get a chance to, like, you know, uh, for, for the studio to figure out what they wanted from the films. Because License to Kill is still a pretty goofy movie, but not a goofy movie. <laughs> That's another movie. Um, but anyway, it, it's, it's still pretty goofy. Future I Microsoft? <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just coming off of Roger Moore's run and it couldn't have gotten sillier than that. So they had to kind of they were weaning people off and then they dove off the deep end with License mm-hmm. to Kill. He and c- he could have been the best. And then he had a timing issue. It wasn't that they necessarily wanted to get rid of him. It was just six years between right. by the time they finally got the ball rolling was, on a contract yeah. again for to make Bond movies. And it was just too late by that point. Oh, yeah. You can't hang on to someone for six years. Yeah. That movie. But, you know, it was a studio's fault for virtually killing the franchise with License to Kill. They did it in so many ways. I think people thought James Bond was supposed to be over. And it wasn't. They just made a movie that was like it was. <laughs> <laughs> but then we would never have Goldeneye, which is And, and you know, if you get yeah. suddenly presented after Dalton, I mean, I, I love Timothy Dalton, too, but... You know, suddenly with a guy as good looking as Pierce Brosnan, because let's let's all admit that one. Like he is the best looking Bond. Yeah, like no, he I looks mean, the part. He I mean, was that, the absolute best choice for the time. Yeah. Like I mean, oh yeah, he's he, yeah yes. Well, he say those. There was a reason nobody thought Die Another Day or World Is Not Enough were good movies, and like probably half the people thought Tomorrow Never Dies was a good movie. But Pierce Brosnan was still great in all four of them. Sure, yeah. you know, and that's why people kept seeing them. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's nice I, when you I, an actor, I think we kept seeing him because we all wanted Goldeneye because we all thought, well, why couldn't Goldeneye happen again? It did, though. I mean, that's why, I, in my opinion, uh, it, Casino Royale was was this generation's Goldeneye, and actually, I mean, same director. I think Martin Campbell has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know, he adapted it, you know, his style again, just to a you know grittier element. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. This has been a Nerdy Show Microsode where we talk about what you want us to talk about for fifteen to thirty minutes. It varies on how much we're into it. And as you can tell, we're, we're pretty into this. We could keep going. So uh, if you would like a microsode, all you got to do is 
pushes over a hundred dollar mark for this month's support goal, you know, every 100, 200, if you're the person who does it, doesn't matter how much you support us with, you got a microsode. In fact, we actually recorded so much that there's a little bit extra for those who support us this month. So uh, if you want to sh- shoot us a dollar or however much you want because you like the show and all the shows we put out on the network, well, you know what to do. Get some more James Bond up in you. Thanks to the miracle of YouTube. Uh-huh. There are a lot of great outtakes of different artists doing some of the classic Bond songs because they used to be written before they had a singer in mind. Right, yeah. So there's been a lot of super interesting, like, you know, alternate versions of You Only Live Twice and Thunderball. I'd, I'd like and, to hear the Bono and the Edge version of Goldeneye. Do you think they ever performed it? Well, they had to have done a demo. I assume so. I don't know. I've never heard that before. I wonder if they have it. It's cool. People are actually on YouTube, they've um, recut the title sequences for, you know, these alternate versions of the theme songs it's actually kind of interesting well what 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 are we going to play matt well what which which i don't know i don't i don't know i actually i just you know it's yeah you know it's escaping me i don't know well taking us out on this episode is whichever one of these things matt thinks is the most awesome (laughs) thanks for listening bye i'm cap i'm colin and i'm matt
Hey guys, it's Cap again. The next microsode coming up is about HP Lovecraft. But before we dive into the infinite darkness to be molested by the crawling chaos Narlathotep, well, I thought I should probably, you know, tell some people that they're awesome before my soul is devoured by gnashing teeth. Recently, two awesome people, two first-time supporters of the show, gave us some love and said some really kind things. The first is from Matthew Shoemaker. He says, Here's some money for all the bandwidth I've used from downloading years' worth of episodes in the month I've known about this podcast. And <laughs> that is awesome. That is truly awesome. It's always a little mind-blowing to hear that somebody likes us so much that they are ready to embrace the chaos that is everything we've put out since we started. Mad props to you, and I hope if your brain melts down, it's at least, like, cool and not totally debilitating, like the flaming carrot when he read too many comic books in one sitting and became a masked avenger, something like that, rather than, you know, some kind of comatose state. And then we got a generous contribution from Anna Barich, who says... This is just a drop in the bucket compared to what I feel I owe you for the awesome programming over the years, but it's a good start. Love the RPG episodes. So thank you so much to Anna and Matt. If you like what you heard, even the smallest contribution not only warms our silicone souls, but does help us greatly in fighting the fight against being able to pay our bills and keep putting out podcasts. We have to reach a monthly goal every month, and we also have stretch goals on occasion based on certain projects and so on, and anytime we go over the bare minimum, that's a very good thing for cool stuff we can do, so it's always welcome. And when you contribute any amount, we send you cool stuff in the mail. A selection of exclusive audio from deleted scenes from role-playing podcasts to outtakes, exclusive images, stuff like that, and of course, there's always the chance that you could earn a Nerdy Show microscope. And for fans who know our shows better than we do, we recently launched a Nerdy Show wiki to serve as a one-stop shop for all the various continuities that we have, both in-game and out-of-game. But we need your help to populate it. So if any of you lovely listeners fancy yourself some wiki-ing, well, there's a link at the top of this episode's page. You've heard enough from me. We're about to go into the HP Lovecraft Microsode. And Microsodes will return sooner rather than later. In the meantime, we got an action-packed block of stuff coming up, including us hosting panels at Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 7th, 8th, and 9th, our coverage of E3 happening all E3 week long, June 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th, I believe. You can go to nerdyshow.com E3 for more details on that. And if I've forgotten anything, well, you can definitely find out about it on the Nerdy Show forums, Facebook, and Twitter. Pick your poison, stay nerdy, and remember, one must never kill a cat in Ulfar. Welcome to another episode of Nerdy Show. This is a Nerdy Show microsode where you, the listener, have generously supported Nerdy Show and told us what you want us to talk about for 15 to 30 minutes. Yay! We love you! Woo, Yay! Woo. You gave us money! <laughs> I'm, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex! I'm Mike. I'm Josh. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm Doug. We're here with most of Ghostbusters Resurrection. Yay! Ghostbusters Resurrection! Yay! They're really cool. Yay they gave us, us listeners. Yay! And very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Super attractive. Thanks to Viral Demon, we are going to talk to you about HP Lovecraft. Yay, Viral Ooh. Demon! Yay! Talking about Lovecraft! Yay! The, the, Total nightmares. Hooray! <laughs> it's actually a noble horror. Actually a pretty uh, appropriate subject, considering who we've got talking today. Exactly. Yeah. Howard Phillips Lovecraft is his full name, and uh, man, he was... If you don't, Harry Potter. <laughs> if, if, if you don't, if you don't know the man, he was, uh, he was, he's one of the most prevalent uh, horror slash otherworldly um, authors at the time. He was, he was buddies with the uh, Robert E. Howard, Robert e. Howard yeah. of Conan fame, and uh, basically, when it came to pulp magazines and uh, the unknown, 
this mysterious, quiet, banker-looking fellow, he's pretty much... He's him, twisted. Yeah, him and, and Nikola Tesla have kind of retroactively owned the 20th century <laughs> in, in as far as like like pop culture Influence, relevance yeah. and, uh, and people who were not appreciated during their time, really. Cosmic horror is a term that's often given to, given to the man, and uh, the first time I was made aware of him was actually because of the early 90s John Carpenter film, In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, starring nice. Sam Neill, Neil. um, and it's it's a good film. It's part of um, what I like to call the death throes of John Carpenter, which is uh, that film in Memoirs of an Invisible Man, uh, both of which didn't perform as well as they would have liked, but were completely awesome. And it seems like after that, he used up all of his juice on it. In the Mouth of Madness basically reinterprets a lot of uh, similar dark themes of H.P. Lovecraft. And the reason we've got the Ghostbusters here is that it Lovecraft was in did did in fact play a large part in creating the the style of dark evil that the Ghostbusters interact with. Indeed, uh, uh, I was just saying earlier to the guys like how Dan Aykroyd has gone on record as crediting H.P. Lovecraft as being a big inspiration for the type of baddies that the Ghostbusters would fight. Not just even in the films, but also uh, throughout the cartoon series as well. Like, I mean, I can't say the number of times I've like rewatched some of the films and you catch little things that have something to do with Lovecraft. Not like a direct reference, but where, but clear inspiration from that well the destroyer once took the form of a giant slore exactly that's exactly. a good example it's like <laughs> many schlubs and zools knew it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day i could tell you <laughs> it's very lovecraftian evo shandor the architect who built the temple on top of a, a high-rise in new york city with obelisks and pyramids and inverted glass pyramids and geometry yeah i mean it was, i mean it's 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 awesome and the uh, uh the the terror dogs are slightly lovecraftian in the way they look and um, man, there's so much like just I don't even even the pink ooze that which reaches for people in the in the sewer yeah. system. It, it, I mean, there's so the much fact that it's that it that it uh, influences people directly and how they feel and think. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, in many ways, he he devised a lot of the most profound modern horror tropes for things that are not not just the like you know the slasher film or the Dracula scenario things that are like very very otherworldly but in a way tap into primal fears of mankind in a sort of right. an inexplicable way it's like the, the fear of the unseen basically because again like lovecraft's big thing is like cthulhu is like the one thing everyone knows like he's never like the evil is never really seen in any of the lovecraft stuff it's and when it is like, you can't describe yeah, it yeah when it is like, like there's no way to describe it so you still don't know it's all unless the word is cyclopean because that's the one word that he uses to describe everything otherworldly mm. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, my favorite story by lovecraft actually isn't has nothing to do with the necronomicon which is very rare the case of charles dexter ward and it's just about this guy who returns back to his hometown which is probably where all of them take place. It's from a reporter's point of view, as most of the stories are. He starts to act like his deceased grandfather after he inherits his grandfather's estate and some crazy stuff ha happens. And it actually is one of the best and most solid stories he's ever told with the strongest narrative, even though he prefers the, the most outside source he can get where it's uh, somebody reporting on the issue or, or maybe, you know, somebody who had a dream of something that was going on. Right, right. I've actually never read any of his Cthulhu literature at all, but I have read a huge portion of his work and there's there's a lot out there I think that i've settled on my favorite of what i've read so far being the dream quest of unknown kadath which is this bizarre spectral journey of a man named randolph carter who is more or less a reoccurring character in his writing who can uh, ascend to this sort of uh, uh, dream realm in between realities it's this bizarre fictorial landscape of impossible vistas um, that's kind of drenched in antiquity and many of the highest minds have like ascend either ascended there or meditate into that place and it's it's in there that he he finds like the crawling chaos norlathotep which you know writhes beneath the surface and and 
it, it, this the things that happen. It's, it's like thoughts. this. Um, it, it's almost like what if. <laughs> What if a, a, a Tolkien-esque landscape was just, like, drenched in horror and, and dark jungles? Creatures He's, larger than the horizon it, that you're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the, what the, the reoccurring, say, tropes slash modern jokes about Lovecraft is that it will, his writing just goes on and on and on. You get these descriptive sentences that last for a paragraph. And, uh, it's, and what it, it's mainly describing is how undescribable. <laughs> that's, actually, that's actually one of my biggest criticisms of Lovecraft is I think that other authors take his ideas that that he created and and actually have a, put a better spin on him. Whereas like um, obviously Alan Moore has done a really good job with the Courtyard and the Neonomicon, which you should definitely read if you have not. If you want to yeah, kind of get definitely. into that mindset, especially yeah. if you're a Lovecraft fan, you have mm-hmm. to read those. But yeah. I think more importantly is Robert E. Howard, who was friends with Lovecraft. A lot of the baddies in uh, in Conan and basically uh, Robert E. Howard invented sword uh, sword and sorcery as a genre. But most of the basically every every time you see magic in Conan, it's evil. Um, with the exception of like one priest, you know, who right, worships, right. worships a, a, a deity who is who is benign. But a lot of these people are uh, cultists who worship things that are basically cosmic horror. And even in the beginning, like one of the first Conan books is the Phoenix on the Sword, and the first creature that he encounters, um, it tears apart like these people who are trying to assassinate King Conan. And he looks into its eyes, and he gets a glimpse of an unknown landscape, and it's very Lovecraftian, but written in a way that's a little more poetic and it kind of gets the point across a little better. So like Lovecraft is, 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 has huge ideas, but I don't think he really had the writing tools to, to get them across as well as others can. Well, it's like that, that's an example of it bleeding over into other things. Like remember we were playing Marvel versus Capcom. I was playing it for the, I was playing Marvel versus Capcom three for the first time. And someone was playing a Shumagorath. And I was just like, what the hell is this thing? You know, like, what, <laughs> what is this goofy little eyeball bouncing around with legs around? You're like, oh, that's a Lovecraft thing or whatever. And it's a, a villain of, of it's Doc- from Conan. It's, and that's the thing. You're like, yeah. it's from Conan. Like, Conan? Why is it Conan in the damn game? Like, that'd be amazing. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but he's, but he's in it because he's also like a Doctor Strange villain. I'm like, he's in Doctor Strange and in Conan? What the hell? Like, this Doctor <laughs> Strange is incredibly Lovecraft. Yeah. Yes. But, but it's like, it seems that there's anything that borders on magic or dark far into space it, there's always a lovecraftian touch to it like an event horizon oh, event horizon has a ton of lovecraftian yeah. stuff. lovecraft's work in many ways was uh what the what was the material that was needed to bridge uh sci-fi and fantasy in the realms of horror yeah uh, because his his work is i mean many of his ideas and 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 his personal interests are very antiquated and he's interested in, in all that old gothic sort of stuff but maybe it was just based on when he was writing this in the early 20th century, but uh, a lot of it expands well beyond this mortal coil into what can only be determined as, as the recesses of space, which are also this, you know, a dark matter fabric that bleeds in and out of existence. And it, it gets, yeah, it, it opens itself up to dead space, basically, well, in like, Event even, Horizon. Even like you said. I, oh, something is like so, un, it's so horrific, it's undescribable. and Or just even the knowledge of it right. is enough to, to, to turn you into something other than human. That, right. the, the thing that, that, that attracted me to the idea of like Lovecraftian-ish, you know, stories and monsters and things is that the idea of, uh, it, it really, I guess I credit to, to Neonomicon when it was just like, they whisper into someone's ear, and it's uh, it was there was a courtyard. That was a courtyard. Yeah, yeah. They, they they whisper a single word of the ancient deep speak or whatever, and that's enough to drive you mad, and yeah. you have a flashback. But at the same time, you're like, oh my gosh, that's horrifying. But how could I have forgotten that? Because that is something that's so primal. Yeah. As 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 a living creature on Earth, I should know what that is, yeah. but it's so ancient, even I forgot about it. I think that psychologically, that makes you confront your own mortality in a weird backwards way, mm-hmm. and that's what's terrifying. Where you're like. 
I'm insignificant and small. And, and, oh my gosh, what is this going on? It's 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 messing with my brain, and I can't even. And then you're dead. What am I? Then you go insane, and then you kill somebody. I think we have to mention the Necronomicon, which is like one of his obviously his 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 a recurring theme throughout uh, not all of his stories, but a lot of them. Right. And, and I think like the obvious criticism of it, if it's so impossible to find and nobody knows about it, how come everybody knows about it? Right, right, right. right. Like, cause I remember I was reading uh, In the Mountains of Madness and these guys are like looking at these carvings on the wall and they're like, oh, what is this? This reminds me of, of the thing I read years ago in the Necronomicon. And the other guy's like, I read that too. And you're like, oh, weird. We both end up in Antarctica. We both read the Necronomicon. It's like, there's... It, it has to be more common than the Bible because most people, <laughs> like most, cultists just go door to door handing them out for free. Yeah. It's like, hey, if you uh, were here spreading the word of uh, the Necronomicon like Cthulhu, the, uh, driven insane most, today. Most yeah, Christians, yeah. Most Christians yeah. correctly quote the Bible, <laughs> but these guys can recite the Necronomicon from memory exactly. and rise a demon or something else what by my, accident. One of my favorite, by accident. Yeah, one of my favorite tropes in in Lovecraft is the tragic hero, which is. Someone who is so convinced that what they're seeing can be explained scientifically, but they they just can't cope with it. Well, and so usually, they they keep fighting against the obvious, and, and usually they experience a tragedy even before that, where it's like, oh, my brother died. Right. I'm going through his journal. What's this? What? Who did this to my brother? They drove him mad. Maybe that's the reason why he killed himself and smeared poo on the wall in the insane asylum. <laughs> I must find the reason why, and I, then they go nuts too. I think like, that's why I like the case of Charles Dexter Ward so much, is because it, that happens, but it's from an outsider perspective. He watches somebody else go through that. Yes, yes. And then like tries to find out more about it, but doesn't get to the level where he's going to be driven insane by it. But you start to realize that there's a huge, bigger picture here that you're not privy to, but it all makes sense. And that's that's part of the appeal of Lovecraft is mm-hmm. that there seems to be this this monstrous amount of like existence that you're always just seeing a sliver of because yeah. if you saw any more you would you fear reading it mm-hmm. i'm gonna go insane if he describes okay. anymore it's like that, that die fantasy video does a great job yes oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, oh man God. that video i remember oh. the first time you sat me down you're, you're like you didn't say anything you're like like i just showed up we were going to be writing something and he's just like before we begin uh just watch this really quick Presses play and it's an animated music video. I'm just watching it. It's and you're like, there's a bunch of, a bunch of teenagers at a pool. Yeah, they're oh, teenagers. Yeah. teenagers they're, sneak, they're sneaking into like uh, the pool of a, like a local gym or something like that. And I'm like, and they're like, they're mm-hmm. making out, like sipping little beers and stuff. And I'm like, okay, like, what are you making porn, me? But, yeah, and, 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 and like they start, the, these kids start getting frisky, and I'm like, I'm getting a little uncomfortable here. This is like, like this is like some weird, like he says, like some weird anime porn thing going on. And then all hell breaks loose. And if you haven't seen it, just go check it out. You probably link to it on this web zone. <laughs> but, it, but it's perfect Lovecraft like material yeah. and as soon as it's over you're like oh my god that kind of fuck with my head but I want to see more animated Lovecraft stuff yes like yeah. it, was, it was perfect because even the like you, you get the outsider's perspective because the narrative follows one girl in the same way but as she sees these things happening and none of them make sense and then when at the end you see what happens to her just from gaining the knowledge of it and it's incredible like yeah. it, it, it's it is so something that, that like the animation can pull off really well that like because there's been live action films that try and pay tribute to Lovecraft and they have they always yeah, like Hellboy is probably what I think yeah. the best Lovecraft movie because there's been other ones like independent films I'm and giving like, it to Prometheus Prometheus is pretty I'm, good but I wouldn't call yeah. it a Lovecraft movie like it, it has inspiration it, it, it's almost like scene by scene in the mountains of madness like, but it's, it's still it's, yeah but you know it's, which which I, I'm just a moment of silence for the Guillermo del Toro film that may never exist I in know. the mountains of madness that meant to be a a, a a 3D rated R horror film where the the darkness of the Cthulhu writhes out of the screen at you and the, the depth of the, the Guillermo del Toro's vision was that the theater would become basically a picture frame into which you see the full depth of these dark vistas right man it's that's horror. a shame 
Yeah. yeah. Well, apparently he saw Prometheus and said, oh, now I can't make that movie because Prometheus had a scene that's straight out of In the Mountains of Madness or well, whatever. Well, I mean, yes. Yeah, a few. I, I, a few, I, yeah, yeah. Like Mondo Toro, you can still do it better. I would give you all of my money forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just have my debit card. Just, just <laughs> the barrels, like, it, it, it almost, like, everything in there seemed like a direct reference. Like, the, the, the barrels where the black the slug just whatever, kept. Yeah. Like, those are, those are the old ones. The same from, shape as exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, Those yeah. are the old ones. Well, from in, in evaluating Madness. Mountains of Madness, could you, can you better understand Prometheus? I, I mean, I, I didn't really have a problem with Prometheus, but in the sense that, like, you, these creators, in a sense, almost become like the old ones in that you don't know what their machinations are, you don't know what their original purpose was, but it's so far beyond what you can understand. Like, everything seems foreign to you. Like, well, it, the reason why I hesitated to say that Prometheus is, is like Lovecraft, because it felt like they took a story and said, let's put it in that universe and in those rooms and have the same imagery, but not have it be connected to a Lovecraft story. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Well, I mean, Lovecraft deviated from the Necronomicon and stuff like that. Like I, the mountains of madness, if I, if I remember correctly, had nothing to do with Cthulhu. Like it had the Shoggoths yeah, and yeah. the, and the old ones, but you know, it's, it's not really like, I guess it's part of the Cthulhu mythos because all of those, those exist in the same pantheon right. in other, in other places. From what I understand, really calling them the hierarchy Cth- of the old ones. Well, like, yeah. people call it the Cthulhu mythos because Cthulhu is the most popular character, even though he's not the biggest, most powerful or baddest. The one that makes the most prevalent, like somebody sees it and it's a big deal is Dagon. Like it, yeah. like some guy washes up on an island that isn't an island. You know what I mean? It's, I was have, say, like, have you guys uh, played the board game Arkham Horror? No, yeah. we actually have uh, a friend of mine has been trying to get us to play it for a long time. And I'm very excited to play it because it's he's like he laid out the board and, and I saw how amazing it looks. I'm like, this oh, yeah. is this looks awesome. Like the this- whole point of the game is that a dark one is rising and you are racing to stop it. Yet it is so easy to dick each over other each other over that you just want to do that. Oh, Until the Dark One rises, and then you're like, "Why did we do that? Why did we do that? Yeah. I regret all my life decisions." And some, and mixed in the deck is one Dark One that you flip it over. Oh, he's unbeatable. You lose. It sounds complicated. Get, you're like, "Yeah, we went nope," and then last second, it's yeah, like it sounds complicated, but it sounds we like actually an went crazy at the afternoon. beginning. Just like, been imagining it's, all of this, it's maybe even more than an afternoon as well. Yeah, that's, that's what I heard too. Because like uh, my buddy, he had like uh, all the these expansion packs where it's like you unfold the board and it's like a huge size of a table, and then you're like, "Oh man, yeah, yeah this is really great." And now you go into the Shadowlands, and then a whole new board opens up <laughs> that, ex- that you could literally connect them to that takes up like two dining room tables. It's amazing. But <laughs> are you guys familiar with Edmund Burke and his novel? Well, it's not a novel. It's his text, uh, a philosophical uh, inquiry into the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful. Oh, I'm very familiar. No, yeah, I've never no, heard problem. Of <laughs> no, figure, figure the answer oh, uh, is no. Good old uh, Edmund Burke. Yeah. <laughs> this is. Uh, oh, we're talking about the one of uh, of, uh, of uh, Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> this is an, an 18th century text, and and what it does is um, his ideas about the what he calls sublime and the beautiful. Are basically it dissects what fills us as humans with awe and terror, and it was the first time that anyone had ever taken apart our own sensations in those in those regards. And uh, it's basically kind of a how-to guide for, and it's very being that it was written in the 18th century, it's very difficult to read now. Um, but it's a how-to guide of how to present things that are incomprehensibly beautiful or things that are incomprehensibly terrifying or simply aw- things would leave you awestruck, which he calls sublime. And it's definitely a, a source for uh, Lovecraft to begin with. Now, it's something that when people are dissecting Gothic literature, 
they will often turn to as an example of like whether an author knew about this text or not, why they would write what they did. Like Frankenstein? Um, exactly. But in many ways, the, what's commonly associated as gothic texts are so much more pedestrian than the lofty concepts of what happens in Lovecraft's books. Even things like, like Frankenstein, which was, you know, like a, a re- reanimated flesh and so on. That that was a very new idea in, in, in its own way and not, not pedestrian in the least, yet it was so much more... Grounded. It, you, yeah, it was totally grounded by comparison. Um, so this is, a, if you guys want to really dig back into what makes Lovecraft's work work, this is a good place to go to. And like I said, it's it's very it's a very difficult read, but um, but definitely interesting for presenting, like when you think of like a massive hall that extends uh, onward and, and there's uh, columns that have a show great symmetry uh, and the, the lighting starts to, to fade in the background and, and this just picks apart the human experience of these massive things that we can't fully see. And, As and a GM what? of a Ghostbusters game, I think that's required reading for me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> Speaking of required reading, though, if you guys have read, like, if anybody listening has read... Yeah, I, w- I want to do, in this episode, I want uh, each of us who've, who've actually who've, who've read Lovecraft to to give out at least one recommendation. Um, I loved so, uh, Rats in the Walls. That was the first one I read, and it still stuck with me the most. It just messed with my head so much. <laughs> uh, I think the closest thing I've read is probably uh, the Neonomicon was actually really, really good. Like I picked it up and I just didn't want to stop reading. And the yet. courtyard, you read the courtyard as well. Yeah, the courtyard is in that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's all. Like all the same. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's, I, well, the courtyard um, is now part of like the preface. I got you. Yeah, okay, Josh cool. got it for me for my birthday, and it starts with the courtyard and just goes from there. Right. Okay. I would recommend anybody who's read Lovecraft and enjoys that kind of uh, otherworldly horror to definitely read Conan. Don't let anything deter you. The movies from, are not like it. Yeah, no, at all. Like it. No, no, like, no. like like the Phoenix on the sword. To the Frost Giant's daughter, and if the text intimidates you, go to a comic shop and buy the comic books they have. The, there. the, the Dark Horse, great. the Dark Horse Conan comics from the last ten years are, for the most part, brilliant. Yeah, they're yeah. they're yeah. fantastic, and I, I highly recommend it because Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft were very good friends, and there is a lot of spillover, but in ways you're not expecting. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. I, I can ditto that one because I've been reading the comics and they're awesome. <laughs> like. <laughs> I guess my experience with Lovecraft is incredibly limited. I've read all of the Conan comics. Uh, Josh sent them to me, and they're ridiculously good. Uh, aside from that, the only thing I really know Lovecraftian is, um, what is it, Robat, Robaz's Call of Cthulhu playthrough? That's about <laughs> it. No, just, I, I, I don't know. That, Robaz. that killed me. It was so good. It's funny. I love that guy. Also, getting back to the idea of like the gothic horror and the ideas of like the sublime and you know pure terror and pure different emotions that kind of gave me like a clive barker feel almost like when you're yeah no Hellraiser. like totally like clive barker the alien films in a lot of ways i mean uh geiger's uh, art in general yeah 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 um, just and- the ideas of i mean trying to commune with things that are so beyond you and you know getting these purest forms of these emotions yeah, there, there's they a book blend called, together so well that it's there's uh, a book that uh, barker wrote called weave world that really like dives headfirst into that and that that one's really really good uh, spitting out my recommendations real quick before I move on. If you got time for a novella, definitely check out the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. It's if it's a journey. It's a, it's a heck of a journey. But if you're doing a short short story, try the Color Out of Space. That's a good oh, one. Oh yeah. Oh, that is uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Atomic Robo. Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, which one was that? Was the uh, volume three? I think, I think that was say. volume three. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. have, you, have you guys heard about H.P. Lovecraft uh, writing an advice column? H.P. Lovecraft answers your relationship questions. No. Uh-huh. Oh my no. god. No. Wasn't he he had a lot of 
like weird sex problems too. And that's the weirdo. rise of tentacle porn in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where it came from. Uh, I, a recommendation: I recommend checking out uh, all a bunch of tentacle porn. <laughs> that's definitely my favorite Lovecraft Just movie. Just go ever. rent all of Uritsukadoji and have a good night. <laughs> well, this is actually it's actually a, a very recent modern thing. It's a, a a spoof, but it's a it's an advice column. Dear Howie, last week I received a you probably don't remember me note from a man I went to went to a school dance with nineteen years ago. He's married and has three kids, but states he is not happy. What should I do? Concerned lady. Dear concerned lady, although humankind has a yearning towards whatever is redolent of mystery and allurement, it is well than certain lacunae in our knowledge should remain forever unfilled. Your shadowy correspondence mention of the ill-regarded numbers 19 and 3 calls an unutterable experiment performed on... <laughs> on sicklebacks by the Swedish ichthologist Degard. I dare not describe his observations, but he concluded that the longer we can remain innocent of our place in the cosmos, the better it must augur for our mental integrity. He came to understand that there was more meaning than is commonly supposed in the nebulous half-inscriptions found on abandoned wharves, while who knows what malign significance underlies the latest findings on the growth of angiosperms or the cycle of the solar spots. What of the transgalactic pulsings have cost more than one astronomer his powers of reasoning i have heard it whispered that in the imprints found on Degard's pillow towards the end resembled the fronds the fronds of a kind of bracken previously unknown to botany <laughs> the muffled shattering sounds from my roof impel me to hasten to conclude yours most cordially and sincerely hp lovecraft there's a whole series of them i'll, I'll link them on this Howie. episode's page <laughs> I guess uh, uh, a, Thanks, good, a good question is, is, <laughs> is Slenderman tied to the Cthulhu mythos or, or, or is, uh, was, do you think that was inspired by Lovecraftian horror? I want to say a little bit. It's, I mean, it's, 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 I, well, I think the, it's origin, <clears throat> like it isn't, it, it's very plain, like, oh, I just put somebody standing with children and it's just creepy. It's an old photo. But then the more that people try to delve People that added to it. Yeah. Exactly. How or rather is, not how, added to it exactly. because yeah, exactly. it's so unknown and so... And yeah. I love the, uh, the... I think the best thing done with Slenderman in that thread where it was created on something awful is the... Uh, is, are the wood cuttings. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. the old like, like, German wood cuttings. Like the 16th yeah. century yeah. wood cuttings yeah. of it. And that, that, is, that seems very... I don't, I don't even want to say Lovecraftian. It's almost just... I don't know, classic horror story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, again, my, except my Lovecraft knowledge is limited. The only thing I can think of recently that I saw that could be Lovecraftian was that movie coming out this summer, Pacific Rim. The monsters seem very Lovecraftian. A little bit, but that's a little bit horror. Well, the, 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 they are very much like kaiju, like straight yeah, up. Yeah, they do. It's just like I said, my knowledge is super limited on it. I mean, it's it's very close because again, we're talking about like you know like ancient like creatures like at the bottom of the sea from another dimension or from another time altogether yeah. or yeah who yeah, forgotten time or some <laughs> combination that's beyond our understanding anyway yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which in itself that sounds very you know lovecraftian yeah. i well, think one of the interesting things about some uh cthulhu mythos lovecraft stories is when nyarlathotep directly interacts with the humans everything else is so outside of our knowledge, like, uh, you know, he'll describe Yog sothoth the goat with a thousand young, and, and all these horrible <laughs> things. But I think even in the dream, is it in the dream quest of Unknown Kadath, he shows up to the, the main character, like, with a bunch of fluted goblins, and they, they, they play, and he, he describes to him a few things. I, I believe so. I mean, like, there's, there's actually, like, a direct confrontation with, it's been many years, but he, mm-hmm. like, he, like, Randolph Carter finds himself in this incomprehensible underworld climbing stairs that were meant for giants and and is in this chamber with Narlathotep like underneath the, the world 
and uh, some very dark stuff happens in there, and I, that does sound. The goblins with flutes does ring a bell. Is that yeah. the one where they like they turn you into a living mummy corpse, where like they suck all the fluids out of you, but you're like so you're basically a mummy, like you've been drained of all fluids and everything, but you are still conscious of everything that's happening. No, um, but that because gi- you said the giant steps that lead down into the thing under the that that sounded yeah. exactly like what I what, what that was. There, there's um there's I think you're you're almost referring to Charles the Charles Dexter Ward. Thing. But that also I don't, I mean, brings up Clive Barker. Um, the the first Hellraiser is somewhat Lovecraftian because you know the creatures from that you're unaware of horrors and things like that. The, the with the Cenobites puzzle box. <laughs> but the second one, more over anything, right. is 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 when when they go to uh, uh, I forget what they even call it. It's basically hell, but it's not really. But it's a giant maze of cyclopean dimensions with non Euclidean geometry, and and the Leviathan is actually just a giant diamond shaped pillar that spins with a spotlight. And like when the light falls over you, you see horrors, and, and like it's so Lovecraftian. And then uh, uh, a doctor who's been—he's uh, a horrible person who's been experimenting on mes- mental patients, you know, in in horrible well, ways. Basically, mangling. Exactly. Like uh, they, they're walking along the top of the maze. He gets shoved into a giant box that uh, changes his his body fluids and drags him down. And it's the most Lovecraftian moment in the entire part. It turns him into a cenobite, and he screams all the way down. When he comes back up. His skin's blue, and he has this look of awe on his face, and he just comes out and says, and to think, I hesitated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if anyone remember that old thriller called The Others movie. Like, I think sometime in the mid to late 90s it came out, and it was about these, um, these, these three uh, point-of-view characters who they had these reoccurring nightmares and whatnot. Nicole Kidman, right? I don't. I don't know if she was it. It was. It was something. Mm-hmm. It was a oh, that's what you're talking about. Is it Nicole Kidman and the two kids or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They get yeah. taken and they put these. They eventually find these things that have been shoved into their arm and whatnot, and the others come back and they collect them, and you r- rarely ever see them. And like I mean, every, like I said, everything. I mean that that also strikes me as something very because at the very end of the movie you see her in that other very dark, very weird, twisted dimension where the others are, like, harvesting people. It's super freaky and whatnot. I mean, I think we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention the, the obvious references. The reanimator is... Yeah. <clears throat> it's, of course, it's... Lovecraft story. Reanimator, yeah, is, like, basically this weird... <laughs> uh, it's a modern-day gr- Frankenstein. grindhouse adaptation of Lovecraft stuff. Yeah. And, and then, the, uh, the original story is not... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Evil Dead uh, directly references the Necronomicon. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, Phantasm in doesn't really directly reference Lovecraft, but the first film especially does have a very Lovecraftian feel to it. When they when they put their hand on the tuning uh, the, the tuning posts and they see into the land of the dwarves. Yeah, no pun intended. We could just say it bleeds over to many different things. Yeah. <laughs> like it's in many different movies, many different books, comic books, video games. I mean, there's a whole, there's, shoot, we didn't hardly mention the Call of Cthulhu video game. There's like a million video games that have yeah, the Call of uh, Lovecraft. You know, I never, I never threw the, the Phantasm thing because there is the barrels, and that's like the old ones. Yeah. Dude, dude, Fallout 3, the Dunwich building? Yeah, yeah. the Dunwich yeah. building in Fallout oh, 3. Oh, man. That was, that was like a, explain that level when you, it's not part of the main quest or anything. It's just like, oh, stay away from the Dunwich building. Oh, pff, screw you, I'm going. And it's amazing. It's like it's its own video and, game. And of course, like, that's when I decided I didn't want to be listening to the radio anymore. So I didn't get <laughs> yeah, shame on you. I, know, I, don't, I, I didn't get any happy music. And I walk in there, there's all these creepy noises and stuff that isn't in the rest it, of the game. It's literally the scary, it's, it's one of the scariest games I've ever played, even though it's just one side quest of, mm-hmm. of, of Fallout. It was amazing. <laughs> We'll have links to where you can check out all these different stories and everything, pick them up on Amazon and whatnot on this episode's page. 
And if you want to talk to us more about Lovecraft, well, just hit us up in the forums. We'll we'll make a thread for Lovecraft specifically. So this has been a Nerdy Show Microsode. Thanks again to Viral Demon for suggesting it. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Unseen horrors. Thanks, Viral Demon, for wishing us to to have to nightmares tonight about unseen horrors. Yeah, yeah. Zulu uh, to take us out, we got a in the Innsmouth look by Darkest of the Hillside Thickets. They're a very interesting, definitely channel Lovecraft and Lovecraftian thoughts and monsters and whatnot. They're really cool. Nerdy Show is a listener-supported podcast, uh, and this episode is a direct result of that. So if you uh, if you liked what you heard, you want to score a microsode, you want to uh, put us to the test and see what we'll talk about, well, just uh, just check out our Nerdy Show support drives and every one hundred dollar mark that we make for uh, for our month's quota. You will earn a microsode. You'll also get a bunch of cool perks in the mail for any amount that you uh, send our way and support us. We exist because of you, and we are eternally grateful. Yay. Eternally. It's <laughs> <laughs> forever. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Hex. I'm Mike. Bye, I'm Josh. I'm Adam. I'm John. Bye, I'm Doug. And now, here's some darkest of the hillside thickets.
This is Bartholomew Elfgar Gleeman. Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. Nerdy Show is made possible by a comic shop, Nerdapalooza, and the generous support of listeners like you. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on the iTunes, or making a contribution to our monthly support drive, or to your favorite claimant. Any size contribution gets you an exclusive Nerdy Show audio and images and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, Dungeons and Doritos, as well as other fine programming, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head on over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via the iTunes Store. And for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. Tune in via Crystal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.